30 degrees would feel really nice today. I don't know about you, but going from 57 to 87 is, I don't know, bring it down. Bring it down. But Nick, you're liking the warm weather, aren't you? I saw some of you here walking in liking the warm weather. Minnesota, we kind of get it all, don't we? Okay, you guys are really on fire tonight, I can tell. (laughs) All right. Well, I have to pull out, I have to go way back, pull out some, I don't have any jokes. That probably doesn't surprise you at all, does it? Let's bow our head together. Why don't we do that for prayer, all right? Father, we just thank you tonight, as Jeremy was sharing earlier, for the incredible mercy and love of Jesus Christ. Lord, it just astounds me, really astounds me, the love and mercy and compassion that you have for the human race. I think sometimes, Lord, it's difficult for us even to grasp how incredible that mercy is because we don't often think of ourselves as just being all that bad. The reality, Lord, the reality is our hearts are black, full of sin. Our world is full of sin. Our evil thoughts, our nature, everything about us was contrary to God. We were enemies of God. We were by nature objects of the wrath of God. And without Jesus Christ and his mercy, we would spend eternity eternally destroyed. God, we just thank you tonight for your love and your kindness and your mercy and your compassion that you gave your son Jesus Christ to save the world that hates you, that's rebelled against you, and yet in your grace you reached out to us for you love the world so much that you gave your Son. I still, Lord, have difficulty even today, 40 years into this journey, comprehending that kind of love. But I thank you for it, Lord. And I believe it because it's the gospel. And I thank you, Lord, that you're transforming lives through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are the only hope of the world. You're the only hope for every single individual, for every single marriage, for every single life. It's you, Jesus Christ, that changes us. It's you who give us the power and the ability to live righteously, morally, lovingly, patiently, kindly towards others. Or all that ever comes out of us is selfishness and sin. Help us to understand that, Lord. How in the world does the value of the missional life even hit us in the face if we don't understand how desperately the world needs Christ? How desperately we need you ourselves? This is not some nice, sweet little story. We're dead without you, Lord. We're dead without you. And every person walking around today in this world, in this planet, who does not have Christ, is dead without you. And everything they touch dies. And marriages die. And families die. And children die. Both physically, emotionally, spiritually, we die. God, we just pray tonight. Open our hearts to how we might be able, each of us, to live a missional life in practical ways in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, 
I brought my little New Testament tonight, but it's symbolic of the whole Bible, old and new. And I want to ask you a question tonight. I wanted just you to think about it. Do you really believe, do you really believe that God expects you to do what's in this book? Do you really believe that? We're here tonight because we claim to know Jesus Christ. Some of you may just be here tonight investigating Jesus Christ. That's wonderful. But we're here tonight because Jesus Christ lived and died and rose from the dead and he reigns today. And when Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sin and when we embrace Jesus Christ, the Bible says this in Corinthians. Do you not know that you were bought with a price that you were not your own? Therefore, glorify God with your body. Romans chapter 12 says this, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a holy, living sacrifice to God, which is your reasonable service of love. It's your reasonable act of worship. We get very used to singing as worship, and that's great. We are to sing. The Bible commands us to sing to God. And that's a part of our worship. But our day-to-day worship is our life, lived in obedience to God. <clears throat> that's the gospel truth. It's as much the gospel that we're owned, bought, and paid for, and we're not our own, as it is that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. We like that one. That's a good one. We like that one. But that's just the beginning. See, that's just the beginning of Christianity. The beauty and the power of Christianity is that God intends to invade your life, to own your life, to live through your life, and to use you and use your life for His glory, for His purposes. This book is full of promises, direction, commands, principles, wisdom. It is the authority over our lives. Did you know that? Do you know what's in it? Have you taken the time to go to the Word of God and read it? Do you understand that God, as we've been talking about the last two weeks, has a purpose and a mission for our lives as Christians? We are to advance the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is human souls. That's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of this world is not God's kingdom. He's going to destroy it. The Bible makes that very clear in Revelation and in Peter. That when the end comes, he will burn the entire planet. He will burn the entire elements. All of the heavens, all the stars, they'll all burn. Gone. They will, the Bible says, melt away. And he will make a new heaven and a new earth. What God is concerned about Today is the same thing Jesus Christ was concerned about when he lived on the planet. Human beings. There's a story of Jesus. And he's on a hillside. 
His disciples are around him. And there's thousands of people on the hillside. And he looks out, and the Bible says this, and Jesus looked out over the multitudes, and his heart was filled with compassion because they were helpless and harassed, like sheep without a shepherd. They, did not where to, they didn't know where to go. They didn't know what to do. Their lives were harassed by sin, by the devil, by their own issues, their own addictions. <clears throat> and then, then Jesus said this, Behold, the harvest is plentiful. He's looking out on the multitudes that he just had compassion for. He's calling them a harvest. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send workers out into the field. To do what? What Jesus was doing. Jesus said, I came to seek and save that which was lost. Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and give my life a ransom for many. And what God intended, since Jesus died and rose from the dead, that every single generation of Christians would live the life of Christ in their lifetime. That we would imitate Christ. And that instead of one Christ, there would be lots of little Christ. That's you and me. Little Christ. We're not saviors, that's not what I mean. We mean little representatives representing Christ to the world. Sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Living for something besides our own selfish purposes. <clears throat> so I want to talk with you tonight about practical ideas for living a missional life. <clears throat> and I'm going to do my best tonight to to put flesh on this to help you understand how you and I are to live our lives. Of course, in the short time we have, I don't have time to get into every single thing, but if you want to write questions, you have a specific question, you're free to write me anytime, mark at rockthechurch.com, and I will do my best to answer your question. In Colossians chapter 4, written by the Apostle Paul, we find these words in verse 5. Conduct yourself wisely towards outsiders. Another version says towards non-Christians. You see, there are insiders and there are outsiders with God. We used to be outsiders before we came to Christ, but now we're on the inside of God's family. Conduct yourself wisely towards outsiders, using your time to the best possible advantage. Let your speech always be gracious and so well-reasoned that you will know how to reply to each individual. <clears throat> when you want to know what God wants you to do with your life, you go to the New Testament and you find out what did the early Christians do with their life. How did the early Christians interpret the words of Jesus Christ? How did Paul live out his life? And what did Paul write to the churches of the people, a church? Let me be very clear about this. Because this word gets thrown around. A church is not a building. We ask people, what church do you go to? Oh, there's where I go to church. <clears throat> this building is where the church meets for services. You are the church. The word means called out ones. That's what it means. So you are the church. Christians are the church, not the building. <clears throat> and God has a way of life. In fact, in the book of Acts, you can read this in the book of Acts, the Christians were first called the way. Because they had a way 
in which they live their lives. And it was common among them. And we're going to look at some of those things tonight, but I'll have to go through them very quickly. So I'm just going to go through one, two, three, four, however many I can get to tonight. Practical ideas, all right? Practical ideas. Build your life, your relationships around the church and God's mission for us. Simply put, a mission is win the lost and build the saved. Win lost people and build up saved people. Put it another way, this is also biblical. We are to love lost people, demonstrating to them the love of Jesus Christ and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ and practicing deeds of kindness on them. But we are also to love, our other mission is to love our brothers and sisters in Christ, to love our fellow Christian, and we are to lay down our lives for one another. Our love is to be extravagant towards a brother and sister in Christ. Would someone who's observing you say that that's the way you love others, Christians? Talking especially the Christians. The Bible says in Galatians, do good to all men, but especially those of the household of faith. Paul writes in Thessalonians, he says, I know that you love, but I urge you to excel still more in your love for one another. Do you go above and beyond for a Christian brother and sister? Does your love really shine? Let me put it this way. Do you love like God? God is extravagant. Is not God extravagant? Is not his love for you extravagant? So when you're loving a brother or sister in Christ, or when you're having them in your home, or you're trying to do a good deed to a brother or sister in Christ, is your love extravagant, or is just kind of the run-of-the-mill kind of way that a non-Christian would love? I want you to think about that. Read the book of 1 John. The book of 1 John really is about love. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. So we're trying to win lost people and we're trying to build save people. This helps us always maintain a missional mentality. We've got to learn to maintain a missional mentality. Let me read you a verse out of the Message Bible. Right? This is from the book of Philippians. This is from the Message Bible. In case you were wondering, is this really throughout the New Testament? You will find something like this in almost every epistle. Meanwhile, live in such a way that you are a credit to the message of Christ. Are you a credit to the gospel? Does God look good on you? Does God's reputation grow in the eyes of other people who know you because of how you live, how you carry yourself, how you interact with other people? Do you live life with humility in relationships? Do you live life with a mercy towards other people? How do you carry yourself? How do you dress? What's your speech like? How do you deal with people? We're, we're in the people business. We ought to be a credit to the message of Christ. Let nothing in your conduct 
hang on whether I show up or not. Paul is talking of himself. Your conduct be the same, must be the same, whether I'm around to see things for myself or I hear about it from a distance. Stand, now listen, this is the Christians. Stand united, singular in vision, contending for people's trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news, not flinching or dodging in the slightest before the opposition, your courage and unity will show them what they're up against. Defeat them. Defeat for them, excuse me, victory for you and both because of God. There's far more to this life than trusting in Christ. There's also suffering for Christ. And the suffering is as much a gift as the trusting. You're involved in the same kind of struggle you saw me go through, on which you are now getting an updated report in this letter. This is not an option. This is the command of God that we as believers stand united together. That we work at our unity. That we die to self. That we give up our rights. That we put the needs of another brother or sister before our own. And that we present to the world a united front. And that we contend, fight, work for. Others believing the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel, the singular, we're to be singular in our vision. I'm not making this up. <clears throat> you can read these things in the Word of God. What I'm sharing with you here tonight affected where I lived, who I hung out with, and who are my closest friends. And I'm going to give you a little description of how my life flowed from three particular passages in the scripture, okay? When I first started following Christ, I was single. And I'm going to talk for briefly about that. I often talk about married life because 35 of the last 40 years of following Christ have been married. But when I started following Christ, I was 19 years of age. I was a machinist. That's what I did for a living. And I organized my entire life and my time and who I hung out with around three verses. And I want you to think about these verses. We talked about them last week. Matthew 6.33. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. When we say seek first his kingdom, we mean seek the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because when souls, when people hear, friends, people, individuals hear the gospel... And they embrace the gospel. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. For how can they hear unless someone goes to tell them? Now that might be through a book. You might hand someone the case for Christ. Or you might hand someone your track. Or you might verbalize it. Or you might go to a movie together like God is not dead. And have a conversation later. But you're intentionally striving to win others to Christ. That's seeking first the kingdom of God. Because each person that's added to the church, advances God's kingdom. His kingdom grows because His kingdom is people. And seek first His righteousness. What does that mean? To be like Christ. To grow more and more righteous, morally upright, godly, and less and less of what you used to be like before Christ. That became 
a singular focus for me. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. I'm in charge, Jesus said. I'm calling the shots. This was, this was the biggest decision I made in my life. Was when I got down literally on my knees and I said, you're Lord. You're Lord. You're not just my Savior. You're Lord. You're my Master. You're God and I'm going to live my life for your purposes. I'm going to find out what those are. And I began to devour this book. I meant to bring them tonight, but I have it home. They were, I've been doing some little bit of renovating and cleaning out. And, and um, I found finally buried back on my bookshelf 40-year-old verse cards, 40 years old, stained with cutting oil from the machine shop where I worked with a bunch of basically ungodly heathen men. And there was Mark at his machine sitting on a windowsill, my 85 verse pad, my 85 verses. Stained with cutting oil. And I just began to hide the word of God in my heart. This is a guy who did not do very well in school. It did not matter. I was motivated. I wanted to honor God. And I knew I needed to learn to put the word of God in my mind and in my heart. And the thing that I had done in high school was a few dramas, musicals. And I thought, you know what? If I can, marry the, if I can memorize those stupid scripts, then I can memorize the word of God. All authority has been given to me. Go. Get out there. Get out there. And make disciples of all nations. Make disciples of people from all different parts of the world. Go. And baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teach them all that I've commanded you. Teach them to obey. Teach them to do the word of God. Our churches today in America are filled with millions of people who know the Word of God, but they do not live the Word of God. They don't care to live the Word of God. They don't want anything to do with obedience. They just want a spiritual, pious feeling that comes from attending a really nice religious service. And they go home. And they don't live out their God-given roles. And they treat their children in often a despicable manner. We're losing. We're losing an entire Christian generation. You understand that? I'm not making these things up. These are based on statistical analysis of Christians. The vast majority, the vast majority of young people that grow up in Christian homes turn away from Christ. Why? Well, there's a lot of reasons. We obviously have a terrible culture, and we have the influences of the world, and we have peer pressure, absolutely. But we also have homes that claim to be Christian full of hypocrisy. And we don't see dad really passionately Christ-like loving mom, and we don't see mom passionately Christ-like submitting like Christ submitted to the father, submitting to her husband. And we don't see this wonderful relationship of dying to self and this delighting in God and that just this passionate love for Jesus Christ. And we don't see Christian men and women today on mission. They're not on mission. Most often, most often, it's very difficult to tell from the lifestyle of a believer to the lifestyle of a non-Christian. They often have the same priorities, money. They often drive the same kind of cars. They're often in debt up to their eyeballs for things. And it's time we understand that if we're not living missionally, we're living sinfully.
If we're not living missionally, the only thing that's going to keep you on that straight and narrow is if you live on mission. And if you're not, you are going to end up living a selfish, carnal, sinful life. There's no middle ground. In the next verse, the third verse, Acts 2.42. I don't talk about it enough. I'm going to talk about it briefly. And they were continually devoted these new believers, and they were continually devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to being together, to breaking bread, that meant communion, and they had meals together, and to prayer. That was their devotion. Look up what the word devotion means. You'd be surprised at the power of some of these words. And then if you read the book of Acts, and you see the way the believers lived, and you see how when the persecution happened... In Acts chapter 7, they went everywhere gossiping the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they suffered. There was intense persecution. So here I am, I'm a young man, right? I'm 19 years of age. I grew up in the church. I hadn't heard any of these things. Well, let's say I've heard hardly any of them. So I'm reading my Bible. And I'm telling the Lord, Lord, I want to do what your word says. I want to live it out. Well, first thing I did, there was another Christian that I had met. His name was Tim. And Tim was a long-haired, leather jacket-wearing, sports car-driving Christian, just like me. But that wasn't the main thing. The main thing was he was extremely missional. And so was I. we We were soulmates. He was the best man in my wedding. We moved in together. Well, remember I've told you my testimony about Leon's Pizza Lounge? He was the guy who was bugging me. Well, he had an apartment up above that lounge with a flashing neon light. Yep, just like you see in the movies. Flashing neon light in the window every single night. And you know what we paid? (laughs) We had three rooms with 15-foot ceilings. We had a bathtub. There was a bathroom, obviously. We had this funky old kitchen. We paid $45 a month total. Him 22, me 22 a month to live there. We parked in the back parking lot behind Leon Pizza Lounge. <clears throat> Tim and I worked at the same machine shop. We prayed for the guys at the machine shop. He was a machinist also. Every Thursday night, we walk up and down Main Street sharing the gospel with people. God so we did it so often that, uh, you know, it was a small town. Webster City's 10,000 people. That's where this was. <laughs> and that people saw us coming, they crossed the street. There was a youth center there. It was called Fuller Hall. Tim and I would go hang out at Fuller Hall. We were still, we still had what you might call in those days the cool factor. And so we'd hang out, and you know, some of the younger kids they knew us. We'd play foosball with them. We'd shoot pool, and then we stand. We always carried chick tracks. I don't know if I've ever seen chick tracks. They're comic book tracks. And he and I always had them. And, and we'd stand around, and sometimes we'd have gum, or we'd have candy bars, we'd hand them out, and we'd, we'd get a little group of young people, and we'd just start sharing what Christ had done in our life. We'd just share our story. <clears throat> this is the kind of life Tim and I lived. We went out a couple times every week. We went to other places sharing the God, anywhere we could, anybody would listen. We went to church a couple times every week. He and I served other believers in the church. We helped people move. We, you know, I was... So touched the other day, I was with a brother. I know he wouldn't want me to mention his name, so I won't, but I was with a brother. He was helping me uh, move out some junk to the junkyard. And um, so I saw his wife here last week, and I thanked her, and she said, Oh, Mark, she said, You know, it's just, it's just a joy. I said, I don't know if you know this, Mark. 
and I didn't. She said, but uh, he gives about, on average, about 10 hours a week helping different believers here at The Rock, uh, whether it's they need something in their house. or I'm like, are you serious? She goes, yeah, that, that's just his way to, you know, how he gives back, how he loves other people. I was really stunned by that. Brought me to tears. I actually went in my car. I thought, Lord, that's just really touching. I would not have known that about this guy. This is what Tim and I are like. We just centered around the believers. We studied the Word of God. I studied the Word of God. I mean, every single day when I got off my machine shop job, the first thing I did was I went home, got changed out of my cutting oil and out of my hair, and I had long, mangy hair. Well, it wasn't mangy. I kept it really good. I, I was the only guy in those days to use female Redken Aminopon shampoo. I actually went to a salon and bought it. Yeah, and I, and I would and I would dry it by combing it backwards this way the whole time until it dried and then I just well anyway yeah, I'll have to show you pictures sometime you have to see pictures sometime anyway sometimes some other time I'll bring some we'll shoot them up there I used to carry my my iPhone around take pictures of myself all the time in those days so <clears throat> <clears throat> and then I get my my 63 Ford Falcon which is what I had at the time. And I'd drive out of town about 20 minutes, and I'd go out in this woods, undistracted, no noise, and I'd talk to God. And I'd walk, and I'd ask God to use me, and i asked God to change me, and i asked God to open his word to me. i asked God to help me understand it. And then I'd read it, and I'd read, and I'd read, and I'd underline. <clears throat> Tim and I would go to Bible studies. We often drove over to Fort Dodge <clears throat> because there was a, a group of hippie Christians that lived in this house. And um, at the time, and I really mean this, they were the only other fanatics that we knew. They were the only other missional Christians I knew at the time. So we'd go over there, and <clears throat> they were kind of this loose fellowship of believers. And then eventually, Tim introduced me to some of these people in Ames, which is then eventually where Kathy and I met at this conference, but I didn't know she was from there at the time. I'd pray every day. I spent my own money on the gospel and reaching out to lost people. I lived extremely frugally, and Kathy and I actually still do today. We just carried these things right into marriage. In fact, this stuff I'm telling you is one of the reasons if she was here and she was standing beside me, she'd tell you, this is partly why I fell in love with Mark. When my, when my wife first, well, my wife, when, when I, you know, I met her at the at the uh, camp. I've told you about that. And then we started, you know, I'd bring her up. She'd come up, drive up once in a while to Webster City to meet my mom and I'd introduce her to my roommate and she was stunned when she saw where I lived. Because we went up to Leon's Pizza Lounge but I had found that through a door that we could never open before we finally got it open there was this big dingy room that the guy said we could use and behind the room was a closet. I built my bedroom in the closet. I figured I needed to learn to be a little hardened for what God might have for me to do. And so it was a, it was a fairly roomy closet, but my, my bed was a two-by-four with a foam mattress on it. Not a two-by-four. A two-by-four is holding up plywood. And I laid on the mattress up there, and below was a desk where I'd study. I didn't spend a whole lot of time. I figured all I do is sleep here, so I'm not going to do much. But Kathy understood when she met me, you see, this guy's very serious about the mission of God. And when I met Kathy and I saw the things she was formulating her life, I realized she's very serious about the mission of God. And then what did God do? He put these two missional-minded people together. And I've been living with my partner in the gospel and going to bed with her and sleeping with her and loving on her for 35 years. Two and a half before we were married, we were engaged. 
So for almost 37 and a half years, she's been my partner in the gospel. I said bye-bye to Tim, and that was really nice. It's really nice to get her instead of him. <clears throat> Though I love him very dearly. He eventually quit following the Lord. It was heartbreaking for me. And the biggest reason? He forgot the mission. He forgot the mission. He forgot the mission. I never forgot the mission. I was always working to build other believers up in their faith, to help them along in their Christian journey and serve them. I was devoted to Christian fellowship. I mean, I was devoted to it. I mean, it was my world. I've I, I got to be honest. I don't want you to take this wrong, but I know somebody's going to. I, I know this is just, I don't know how to say this delicately. Um, you know, I won't even say it. Never mind. Number two, I evaluated all my decisions through the lens of my mission. This helped Kathy and I immensely with our lifestyle choices. Even the decisions we're making, we made as a family and how much we would do outside, with outside activities or what we wouldn't do as far as outside activities. Kathy and I evaluated everything through our mission. <clears throat> and we were always cognizant of the fact that we're striving to raise little missionaries. So we better make sure mom and dad are living it. <laughs> and, and that we sort of help them understand how they can be involved and how really exciting and fulfilling and exhilarating it is to be used by God in the lives of others to advance the gospel. So there was a lot of joy in our home. There was a lot of laughter in our home. There was a lot of love in our home. It was just so much. There's a lot of people in our home, a lot of people in our lives. And the kids saw their dad and their mom's passion for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what it was about. That's what it's still about. But when it came down to practical, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you just an idea, okay? Don't take this personal. If God leads you somehow different, I'm just trying to help you understand how I process my life and lifestyle decisions in America where, where we, 4% of the human race lives in the United States. 87% of all the wealth of the world is in the hands of 4% of the people. I walk around my little twin home. I call it a little twin home. It's 1,500 square feet, a twin home. My lawn takes 18 minutes to mow. And I was telling Kathy today as we were praying together in tears, I said, Kathy, I just, this room is so beautiful. We are just so blessed. We're just so blessed. I mean, there's a little stain up there where the ceiling, where the water leaked one time. I didn't fix it yet. I don't care. It's just a little brown. And, and we got this table in the middle. A guy gave me, he found it a house. It's got, it's brass, glass, and it's got rocks all over it because she and I like rocks. And, and it, it, it the, the dining room table I bought used and half the furniture of the house I bought used. And, I, and I'm just sitting there, Kathy, we're just so blessed. You realize how people, and sometimes I'll just go off with Kathy and how, because I've got to travel. She is not because of her health. So I tell her what I see when I'm in Honduras. I tell her how many of my friends live in Germany, in Berlin. And just, Kathy, we're so blessed. But you know, I deliberately didn't buy a cabin. I'm at a point in my life, this is the truth. I have lived, I have kept my, my, my debt. I don't have debt. 
other than the house, and it'll be about six years, it'll be paid off. And I've kept it all as gone, that I could easily afford another mortgage. I used that money for others. If I had a cabin, if I had a cabin up on, I don't know, Brainerd, what am I going to need to do? Well, I'm going to need to go there. It's going to call my name every weekend. Mark, Mark, I'm up here. Come see me. Come sleep here. Get out on the boat, Mark. I've had friends. Listen, I, I had a, an interesting epiphany when I came up here after living in Minnesota. You know, I grew up a lot of my years in Iowa. And I didn't know anybody in Iowa that had a cabin. I mean, I never heard of such a thing. I mean, I knew people took vacations, but I never heard of a cabin. I come up here, and Brent and I are like, wow, you know, church just kind of dies from May, end of May, till September 1. This is, this is wild. <laughs> and everybody's, oh, I'm going to the cabin. Oh, I'm going to the cabin. I'm going to the cabin. I'm going to the cabin. Now, I, just, I don't want you to get me wrong. You can use your pontoon for Jesus, your pontoon boat, and your little rowboat, and your little motorboat, and your fishing rod, and all that stuff. And you can build wonderful family memories, and that's cool, and that's wonderful. And you can still be on mission. But I've watched those kinds of things also take so many people off track, take them away from fellowship, take them away from their devotion to the Word of God, and it's stolen their heart. Do you, do you understand how easy it is to steal your heart? Do you, know how, do you know how easy the devil can just steal your heart? So I just decided, well, I ain't giving him a chance. I'm going to stay on mission. So I tried to study the life of Jesus. I tried to study the life of Paul, realizing, of course, that neither one of them were married. I'm married. I have four children. What does that mean in Mark Darling's reality in the year 1980, 1990, 2000, 2010, 2014, what does it mean? How do I take these principles and live them? Otherwise, what the heck? If you're not going to live Christianity, then what's the point? The joy is in the living. The power is in the living for your purpose, for your eternal purpose. Build margin into your finances so you have extra funds to support your missionary activities. Do you ever think about that? See, the money, you know in Luke 16, when it talks about faithfulness, a little thing is a big thing. It's literally talking about your money. And it says, use your worldly wealth to win friends for yourself so that when money fails and the whole world ends, they will welcome you to eternal dwellings. What do you think that means? Study the scriptures. Use your money to influence people with acts of kindness, with generosity. Use your gifts and your talents and your abilities to be missional. We're going to get into this tomorrow night. Please come tomorrow night. Because we're going to talk about some new steps of faith that you can take. And I'm telling you, the sky's the limit. I believe God wants to unleash thousands of our church members, and that will include every one of you, into new endeavors, new faith initiatives in which you can see God use you in unique ways. Anyway, I have so much more to say and no time to say it. So let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of your word. We thank you, God, that you have a mission for our life. You have a plan for our life and that we can understand. We can completely understand how to make effective decisions in this life and how we live. Help us, God, to live under the authority of the Word of God. Help us to live out the Word of God. Help us to practice what the Bible teaches. In Jesus' name, amen.